0: Surprising numbers of people are referring themselves for treatment because they have sexually abused children or are at risk of doing so. But funding problems mean there hasn't been enough money to pay for all courses of therapy needed and some people who voluntarily asked for help have been turned away. The names and voices of some people have been changed to protect their identity and those of their families or
1: victims.
2: This street off a main road in Auckland could be one of many in the city, with businesses, a church and commuters' cars parked down the road. It's like any other. But the anonymity is vital for the men, women and children who arrive at one of the buildings here for therapy. I'm Lauren Baker, and in this Insight, I speak to people about what it's like to go through a therapy programme, whether it can truly be successful, and what's being done to secure funding for such programmes.
3: I was fully in denial. Um, I had a real lack of empathy for victims because to me they were just pictures. It got very, very easy for me to lie and I never used to lie. I refused to lie at one point. Then I became this horrible cretin of a person, I feel. Well, no, that's not true. I was still a good person. Let's just say I had a horrible compulsion. Now oh, I could lie about it through my teeth and look some square in the eye and do it.
2: Jason was caught by his partner looking at child pornography.
3: The, the compulsion becomes a coping mechanism. So if you're stressed, if you're upset or something like that, the first thing you do is instead of talking to someone, you switch the computer on. You start dealing with your shame temporarily. Then you start feeling shame about what you did again. And then so forth and so forth. And it just leads you into a darker road.
2: He was already seeing a psychologist to try to help him with anger issues, and when he admitted to her that he also looked at indecent images of children, they decided he should seek specialist help. After an initial assessment, Jason was accepted onto an adult therapeutic treatment course at the Safe Network. It consists of some one-to-one sessions, family therapy and homework, like writing a timeline of their lives, but mostly it's group therapy with other men, talking about what they've done and why.
3: I was expecting a room full of guys in brown max. These horrible, crusty-looking, bearded guys that you, you actually imagine. And you walk into a room and you think, oh, my God, they're all normal. You are expected to share with the group what you're in there for. Now, I'm thinking, this is something I've never told anyone. I've never been caught, apart from once by my partner. You know, I ended up thanking the group pretty much through the whole session for making me feel welcome for making me feel included and treating me like the human i didn't or hadn't been doing for the last five years
2: The Safe Network is one of the three main community organisations in New Zealand offering treatment to people who've sexually abused children or think they're in danger of doing so. Some have to complete the course as a requirement after coming out of prison, but others are there voluntarily because they're worried about their own behaviour and that they could cause harm in the future. There are specially designed courses for adult men and women, Māori and Pacifica, people with intellectual disabilities and people who've used the internet for child pornography or grooming. Courses are also run for adolescents aged between 13 and 17 and even younger children between 5 and 12 years old.
4: The whare Fano room is where we work with our early intervention Māori Fano um, and children. We've uh, got a sand tray, um, multiple figurines um, for the 5 to 12 year olds to work with and uh, often the parents will join in. Everyone loves to have a play with the sand tray. Um,
2: it's very much, it, very, it looks very much like a, a playroom.
4: It is very much like a playroom.
2: SAFE's chief executive, Jackie Dillon, says more and more people are asking for help. In 2012, 33 men came forward voluntarily, but in 2013, the number jumped to 49. Over the same period of time, the number of 5 to 12-year-olds, referred because they themselves were showing signs of sexually harmful behaviour towards other children, doubled from 18 to 36.
4: we are seeing growth over the past 12 to 18 months of early intervention. So that's uh, children aged 5 to 12, which is good news because what it says is that parents and um, other professionals and schools and I guess the wider community are actually engaging and acting early.
2: Courses vary in length, although are usually 12 to 18 months long and are altered to suit individual needs. SAFE's clinical director, Gabrielle Whitehead, says not all their clients are male.
4: The proportion of uh, females um, who engage in harmful sexual behaviour is much lower than for males. We also get um, some children, so girls, but again the number is very, very low, less than 10%.
2: SAFE's remit covers the top half of the North Island, but demand is also on the rise in other parts of the country. Wellstop offers services in the bottom half of the North Island, and the Stop Trust covers the whole of the South Island through its bases in Christchurch, Nelson, Dunedin and Invercargill. Demand for services means SAFE will be opening a new base in Tauranga in September, catering for children and adolescents. Tim is another client who voluntarily asked for therapy.
5: I went online... And played a lot of games and looked at a lot of legal pornography, and that sort of you become a bit desensitised to that after a while and then you come across things that you know are wrong, but because you're desensitised to the rest of the stuff and you're a bit bored with it all you go and look at it anyway and suddenly what wasn't an issue or wasn't a, a natural high before becomes a high you know and so it 's a very slippery slope.
2: He's halfway through his 12-month course and says although he's still got some way to go, he feels confident about the future.
5: I want to put behind me what I had done because for, for a lot of reasons. One, I don't want to go to jail, obviously, wanting my family to be proud of who I am. Most importantly, you know, I don't want to be an abuser or continue to create a demand for those images online, which is what I was doing before. I was definitely a contributor, if not an abuser.
2: Showing me round the safe building in Auckland, the clinical and operations manager Ivan Trofimov explains the differences between how the various groups are treated. The 5 to 12 age group learn through play in the brightly coloured children's room and some of the larger rooms upstairs are used for group therapy sessions with adults.
6: Uh, on our wall we have only some of the things that people have written when they leave safe, when they're ready to graduate and they want to leave a message to others who are coming in, who are new to the program. One that I particularly like is quite small and it doesn't look like much, but it says no secret, no lies, no hiding equals no problem. That one's good.
7: Mm -hmm.
6: Life-changing for my victim and family. Another one is I used to think it was best to hide any negative feelings. It caused more harm than I could imagine.
2: Taking responsibility is an important step and can start before a single therapy session if the person asking for help has already harmed a child. SAFE's chief executive, Jackie Dillon, says although clients' details are confidential, if abuse has been committed, it will be reported.
4: If we are aware that you have caused a risk of causing harm, or have caused harm to either yourself or someone else, we have an obligation and a duty of care to notify, and that's what we do. 90% of the time, I would say, we work with that individual to enable them to make a report of concern to someone like child, youth and family, or it may be to contact the police. That's almost, in some instances, that's where the process of uh, moving forward starts.
2: Clinicians say those undergoing treatment have a better chance of success if they have a support person who knows about their problem. In fact, people aren't allowed on some courses unless they have one. Ivan Trofimov says the journey for that person and the surrounding family is particularly tough.
6: It's very similar to a grieving process of not believing that it's happening in their family. Um, And this is a typical process. It doesn't necessarily happen in this order, but it's also about rejecting the person, perhaps initially. It's about anger and then slowly accepting that the person that they love and the person in their family has done something that they may not agree with and they may not condone while still supporting and loving that person and helping them to change.
2: Carol is a support person for a man she herself reported to the police after one of his victims told her she'd been abused. Carol says the family knew the man had abused a number of children and there was even a
1: hui, but nothing changed until she took action. Didn't want to talk about it. Want to keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell the police especially. You know, I guess a lot of people knew what was happening, but turned a blind eye, which is quite sad. After that, we had the hoi and had a little talk about it, the offending continued, so I just took it up by myself and reported it to the police, which was a good thing. He got locked up. And from there, well,
2: he was able to get help. As a support person, Carol attended the therapy sessions and now has no hesitation in warning the man if his behaviour starts to slip. When he first came out of
1: prison, I know um, he was out about a month and started drinking alcohol when well, I told him off about that. Because I said to him, you know, uh, a lot of your offending happened while you were under the influence. And then a lot of it happened when you weren't I too. But I said, you know, the alcohol fuels your mind. I said, it does things to your mind. And I said, I don't think it's it's helpful that you should be drinking. It, It doesn't do anything for you.
2: The person Carol supports has been through prison and he did a therapy course when he was released. But despite all the treatment, she's not
1: sure he's truly changed. Do they ever get better? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. The thing is, you can give them all the education you want. At the end of the day, it's up to the offender what he's going to do with with all that knowledge. Is he going to use it? Is he going to use it effectively? Is it going to help him
2: stop offending So do people genuinely change, and at what point are they regarded to be safe enough to finish the courses?
8: That's right. Yeah, exactly. We worried about that, you know, treatment gains uh, sort of index because, okay, the guy's changed, but is that is, is enormous, <clears throat> is, is enormous. But, you know, when we did a study of how
2: Bill Marshall is considered to be one of the world's experts on effective sexual offending treatment originally from Australia he moved to Canada and spent over four decades at Rockwood Psychological Services creating and working on courses for sex offenders in prisons there he's published more than 400 articles including 21 books the Emeritus Professor at Canada's Queen's University recently visited New Zealand to lead a conference and admits not every Everyone can be treated completely, and although some people are easy to engage,
8: others resist. It's possible to make every person safer, yeah? and some guys, you do the best you can, and you might have reduced their risk to reoffend a bit, but maybe not enough. You know, uh, and it's hard to know that because uh, the guys that are most difficult are the intellectualizers. You know, guys who want to have arguments with you all the time. But you know, sooner or later their sentences up and they're back in the community and we've done the best we possibly can. Not all of those guys re-offend but they're the guys who have a lot of trouble when they get back in the community.
2: Of the offenders who do actually have a, a tr- an attraction to children, does the therapy change the risk or their desire?
8: Sexual interest in children for example or a desire to have sex with children uh, comes from somewhere. It's not, you know, it's, they, didn't, they weren't born this way. Yeah, so, they've acquired this interest. Why would they acquire that, right? Well, because they're not able to satisfy their intimacy and sexual needs with adults because they don't have the skills and the capacity and the belief in themselves to do that, right? So, you presume if you provide them with those skills and those self confidence things in relationships and teach them about healthy sexuality then when they get out they'll be able to start implementing this different strategies for having relationships the different ways of having forming a relationship because they know a lot more about it and they we've given them the confidence in themselves to do that i mean you could say that once you acquire a sexual interest in children it never goes away and some people say that right they don't have any evidence for it I don't particularly have any evidence that it goes away either, but everything we know about human behaviour, you would expect it to go away if they were able to meet their needs in other more pro-social ways.
2: Professor Marshall's son, Liam Marshall, also works at Rockwood and is both a researcher and a clinician. He's devised a way of measuring whether someone is ready to leave a programme called the Therapist Rating Scale.
9: We measure the fellows on two dimensions. One is, is their understanding of the issue, whether they see it's important to improving their lives and, uh, and helping them to change and make a more positive future, and then also how much they actually enact the changes that we're trying to instil in them. And those two dimensions help us to make a better judgment of whether the fellow's uh, successfully completed treatment or is ready to move on in his life or perhaps needs a little more attention on one or another issue. Nobody's going to be free of problems. We all have difficulties uh, managing certain issues in our lives. But is he close enough to normal functioning that he's able to self-regulate and self-manage himself so he doesn't need to uh, go down an incorrect path?
2: Up to 200 convicted child sex offenders a year go through therapy courses at two prison units in New Zealand, Kiamarama at Christchurch Rolleston and Tipperiti at Auckland Prison. Research conducted by Auckland University showed prisoners who were given help to reintegrate into society were less likely to re-offend. Senior lecturer and clinical psychologist Gwenda Willis says most re-offending takes place in the first five
0: years after a
2: conviction and helping offenders find somewhere to live is crucial.
0: They looked at the release plans of a group of men who had re-offended versus a group who hadn't re-offended and we saw that the guys that re-offended had far poorer plans for accommodation when they were released than the guys who didn't reoffend. That's interesting that it's... So focused on accommodation rather than perhaps other factors? Other factors definitely played a role. The guys that um, had, for example, plans for employment, um, pro-social goals to work towards on their release, as well as housing, as well as pro-social support, all of those things together were also added to the equation in terms of whether or not someone was going to re-offend or not re-offend. But she also says a person has to want to be part of the therapy for it to work. The individual has to engage. They have to be like an active recipient, if you like. They can't just sit there and be, you know, be given this. They actually have to take it on board, um, engage with it. So. We know that when there's a good, strong therapeutic relationship built, that that's a good predictor of whether or not someone's going to, if the treatment's going to be successful. Back at the Safe Network, Jackie Dillon says
2: reoffending rates on community courses vary dramatically between people who only begin the treatment and those who finish it.
4: Of those who completed treatment, there was a 5.2% recidivism rate. For those who dropped out, interestingly, there was a 10.5%. For those who had only been assessed but had not engaged in treatment, there was a 21% recidivism rate. It's an incredibly effective form of treatment for the right individual.
2: She says about 80% of clients complete the programmes. Some drop out because they move overseas or become ill. For others, treatment may have to be paused while they get help for another issue which should be dealt with first. For example, if someone reveals that they themselves were harmed as a child, they need to receive help to deal with that before therapy can continue. Jackie Dillon says treatment might also stop if someone breaches their safety plan, which is put in place to make sure they're not a threat to children while going through treatment. Any incident of abuse is not tolerated but breaking other rules such as not drinking or using the internet are considered by the clinicians.
4: If it's obvious that someone's um, attendance or um, engagement in our service is intermittent we will pause, we will bring all the pieces of the system together and we will have a professionals meeting and we'll decide on a course of action. We may have to do that three or four times over the space of three months. You know, is it an enjoyable process? No. But that's part of our commitment to saying we all share responsibility um, for this for this family and father or for this individual.
2: Carol, who's a support person for an abuser, says she's very aware of the actions of the person she's helping and won't hesitate to act if his behaviour deteriorates in future.
1: He's learnt his lesson, but I think he still needs to be reminded because I've always told him that, you know, it doesn't matter how long... Journey may be on this planet, that I will always be watching him. Carol accompanied him to
2: all the therapy sessions but now his treatment is finished and because she lives some hours away from a city where Safe Stop or Well Stop are based, she's now in contact with another organisation called Korowai Tomorako. It's one of the smaller groups that exist, providing similar services but with more emphasis on being out in the community. I asked one of the directors, Russell Smith, if there are enough services in more rural areas.
7: There's a reason why I'm mobile. We can't Keep sending them into main centers you can't well, yeah, you just can't I mean we're working with one family way out in the middle of nowhere now yeah, okay, it takes half an hour for the main route to get out to them and back again but if we don't do that, the risk of reharm is too too high. We've got to be mobile we've we've got to be able to get out into these far-reaching places. Is there enough centers I think there's enough people out there doing it. But there needs to be more of a collective responsibility around that.
2: He says the number of abusers who are actually paedophiles and have a preference for children is lower than people think.
7: The population who are that level of risk, who only have thoughts about children, sits around 10 to 15% who are paedophilic. And you're getting into management then, and I don't like saying this, but it's true, some men or well, some people are not going to change psychologically around that. However, in saying that, there are management strategies that they have in coping around that. And part of that is it also includes their safety planning.
2: But a lack of funding means there haven't been enough free therapy places available and some agencies have had to turn self-referred clients away. Wellstop says it's so stretched it has three times the number of adult referrals than it can put through treatment. The Stop Trust says it has to refuse a fifth of all adults who ask but far more don't bother asking at all when they find out there's no funding anyway. Over the past two months, victim support groups, abuse prevention organisations and groups who treat perpetrators have told the government they're severely short of money. Jobs have been lost and some organisations say if they don't get more funding, they could shut down. Organisations told MPs on Parliament's Social Services Select Committee the situation in the whole sector is desperate.
0: promised to the survivor that they'll go and get treatment and then there's no treatment programme for them. We
4: lost $6 million from the counselling budget and we lost hundreds of specialist therapists.
2: One of the MPs behind the
0: parliamentary inquiry is Jan Logie from the Green Party. Even the conservative statistics are 1 in 4 girls and 1 in 10 boys. So that's a lot of people who need help. And the, the bit that gets me as well is that we know that if somebody completes treatment, there's only like 5% of them who go on to reoffend. So this is a problem we can really get on top of and actually solve if we put the resources into it. She says she's heard of people who need
2: help urgently, fearing they might harm a child but being turned away because there's no money
0: to pay for their treatment. i have told me of examples of, um, say, an older man who's fantasising continually about harming children and there is no funded service for him. I just find that absolutely heartbreaking for him as an individual and frightening for us as a community. That
2: shortfall is acknowledged by the Ministry of Social Development. The Deputy Chief Executive of Family and Community Services, Murray Edridge, says there's a funding gap.
9: There is clearly an insufficiency of funding to address these particular people. The irony, I guess, of the situation is that if you offend um, and you go through the criminal justice system, we're prepared to invest quite heavily in trying to address the issues that you have, for those who um, who identify themselves or, or are encouraged and supported by their families to attend these programs before they've, they've done something wrong or gone, gone through, the, um, through the court system, then the resources aren't there. So increasingly we're saying that that's an area of investment that makes sense and how do we redirect some of the funding that we would otherwise spend after the fact and invest it early.
2: But he says it might also be a case of making the sector work more effectively and bringing the smaller organizations into line
9: it needs to be a connected process and you need to have government and community and community agencies um, essentially working well together to wrap, wrap services and support around people and is it a
2: little disjointed at the moment then
9: I think it's always been disjointed it's disjointed within communities it's disjointed within government and what we're seeking to, um, to do in government particularly is to work across the agencies so it's not just a focus for the Ministry of Social Development but sitting alongside the Ministry of Health and the Department of Corrections and, and Department of Justice and the Ministry of Education and other agencies to say if we're serious about supporting people to be the best they can be then we need to do that together.
2: Of those who don't make it onto the courses, few people can afford to pay the fees themselves. A consultation with the Safe Network costs just under $3,000 and a year of therapy almost $15,000. Jason says he feels lucky to have got a paid-for place.
3: I was the last one that they could fund for the year, so I got in just at the right time because there was no way I could have afforded what they're supplying.
2: Most places on courses are funded through government agencies, so the Department of Corrections for those who come out of prison, Child, Youth and Family for young people, and the Ministry of Health for people with intellectual disabilities. Jackie Dillon says some areas don't get as much cash as others.
4: There are some areas where more funding would be helpful. I'm thinking particularly around adults who self refer and there are some challenges with adults aged between 17 and 24. The task really is to balance the fact that there will always be limitations on funding with looking at ways that we can partner and collaborate more effectively, both across sector and across um, not-for-profit and government.
2: But services to help treat those who cause harm will now benefit from part of a $10.4 million funding boost that was announced at the end of last month. Although the majority of it will go to frontline support services for victims, a so far unspecified amount will be given to therapy services for abusers. The Minister for Social Development, Paula Bennett made the
1: pre-budget announcement last week. The needs of both victims and perpetrators are incredibly complex. Funding is also available for uh, community-based treatment for those with harmful sexual behaviours who are not involved with the justice system. So we've heard a lot about how that's a a real gap in services as well. But the funding is only
2: to cover the next two years and sexual violence victim and treatment organisations say it will be used to stabilise services that are severely struggling. They say a long-term sustainable strategy is needed which it's hoped will come out of the Select Committee findings within the next 12 months. I'm Lauren Baker, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or send us a tweet at RNZ_Insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Teresa Cowie with technical production from Chris Keogh and Mark Chesterman.